Lord Jesus, we thank you that this morning we can trust in you. What a privilege it is to gather, to worship, to come to you and to acknowledge your greatness. And I pray, Lord, that this morning you will come to each one of us, that we may know just the sweet presence of your spirit and the encouragement of your word. And that, Lord, that you will come and meet each one of us, Lord, we ask. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning. So good to be together and to worship. And um, just before we step into our, um, our service together, I want to invite Tamara to come up and uh, join us. Um, uh, Tamara Welsh. For many of you, you may know that Tamara has uh, served faithfully in the, um, in the children's department. You come up, I'm going down. Um, I'm a man, I cannot multitask. Um, and has, has served faithfully, those are for you, uh, uh, in, for 14 years with our children. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, Tamara's not leaving us, uh, but she is changing jobs and, um, and we're excited about this and she's stepping into a no, new role uh, within our church and with our two campuses and all that is taking place. Do you want to say the kind of things you'll be doing or shall I? You can. I can. So Tamara will be uh, doing community outreach. She will be responsible for our two new kitchens, uh, well, our old kitchen and our new kitchen, involved in, uh, you know, all of the uh, catering that is needed now across the church as we continue to grow, involved in the kind of community engagement with partners that we're working with, uh, with different projects such as Food Bank and other projects that are coming online, and, and engaging our community. And we're looking forward to this new post. And of course, meeting the needs of our own community and the many events that happen in our building. So your, your title is, do you remember? Director of Hospitality and Outreach Programs and Events or something yeah. like that. I don't know, it's really long. <laughs> <laughs> try that again, try that again. Director of Hospitality and Outreach events and programs. Wow. So she's ruler of the universe. So, but we want to bless you. We want to thank you that we've seen your gifting in this area uh, just blossom and grow. So we want to just uh, pray for you and bless you and thank you for all your hard work with our little ones. Uh, so appreciated. Um, uh, in the children's department, Janelle will continue to be working there. And uh, Jay Lynn, who's part of our church and has been to CBC, has now completed her studies at CBC and is coming back. And she will also join the department here at 33 to uh, care for our children as well. So a little bit of change, but uh, we're so grateful for that you've done. Heavenly Father, thank you for Tamara. 
and thank you for the blessing that she is and thank you for the way that she has served this church so uh, wonderfully for 14 years and will continue to serve our church wonderfully for many years to come. Bless her, Lord, and encourage her and be with her and continue to strengthen her and use her, Lord, we ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That's wonderful. Hey. What a church. What a church. Even if you change jobs, you get flowers. That's fantastic. Even if you change jobs. How are you all doing this morning? I'm glad you came to church. Uh, otherwise, I'd be here alone. And, and I'm glad that you're here as we open the word of the Lord and we start to think about what the Lord has to say us from the book of John. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John's Gospel and John chapter 12 and verse 20 as we begin our study together and as we dive into God's Word, the Gospel of John. I am linking, as many theologians do, uh, John chapter 1 that I preached to you last week. And you remember we went on an epic theological journey of exploring the pre-existence of Christ, the divine light that is the Lord Jesus Christ that came into the world to make a difference. And that divine light continues to search each one of us within our hearts and within our lives. We then talked about the battle between light and darkness that exists, that is present. And then of course, the rejection that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced and continued to experience as he brought the good news to Israel and as he declared the freedom of God and the good news, the rejection that he experienced at that time. And yet within the message of those opening verses, that great hymn, that great moment in the book of John, we heard the, the words of the power of lives been transformed. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to transform lives. He came to bring that difference to each one of us. And of course, the glory of God, the tabernacle, Jesus himself, the presence of God, God as man came into the world to dwell with us with glory and presence. And so we, we remember this. And if you missed it last week, do go online and re-listen to it. It is a, uh, we made our way through all of these areas and started to look at this. But what is John trying to do? John is trying to, to kind of uh, make sure we understand that we, he is showing us who Jesus is the difference he wants to make and he is trying to bring it all together in our minds to a conclusion that we know that God has everything under control. Don't we, don't we love murder mysteries? Have you ever noticed that? How we like to watch murder mysteries and, and I often wonder about this. A friend of mine texted me just this week and said, I finished the whole series of Shetland. Now, you may not know Shetland. It's a Scottish um, murder mystery based on the island of Shetland. Just a small island with about, I don't know, there's probably about 
20, 30,000 people that live on there. But in this show, there's a murder every week. And, and there, um, the, the DI, the, the, the sergeant, Jimmy Perez, he goes around and he solves all of these murders. It's fantastic. Now, the text shocked me because there's eight seasons and I think they only started watching it about six weeks ago, such as, you know, and, and then I was like, oh, but don't judge Phil because you did exactly the same. Oh, yeah. I love all that North Sea wind, all that Viking feel, all that Scottish voice where you have to put your subtitles on your TV. I just love it. And, and I've often thought, why do we love murder mysteries? Is it because of the implied gore, the mystery, the darkness? Why do we like these mysteries of solving things like the Murdoch mysteries or, or heart to heart? Or where did that come from? That's old. Hello, 70s. And... You know, why do we love these things? Inspector Morse, have you know these ones? All these kind of things. Well, the reason I think is that we love it because we know something terrible has happened, but we love to see justice and we like to see the end of the story when everything is wrapped up and brought together with a conclusion. There's something within human nature There's something within us. You know that we are searching for justice. We're searching for the answer. We're searching for that moment when we experience that moment where there is justice. It starts when we're small in the playground and something happens. Somebody takes something that doesn't belong to them off them. And then then the child cries out and says, you know, uh, that's not fair, right? And we still do that today when we watch the hockey. That's not fair, ref, right? That's not good. No, boo. I know better from my big fat armchair. I know with all my crumbs of chips over my, anyway. And I know because I I can play hockey better than all of you. And I'm there. But we, we feel the sense that's not fair. That's not good. I mean, I mean, honestly, the Germans have been complaining for years. Decades now since Britain beat them at the World Cup in 1966, just because a hand went in the air and the ball went in the goal. Hallelujah. Um, You know, it's not fair. We want justice. We want everything to be right. We play by the rules. There must be a way. There must be a future. And this is exactly what John is trying to tell you. And in his writing, of course, he tells us who the Messiah, but in Revelation 21, he declares that a day will come when he will wipe away every tear, every pain, every grief, and there will be a new kingdom, a new earth and a new beginning, and he will reign forever. See, there is a murder, a fart and darkness within the land. And we know that this justice business, we need everything to be put right. But how are we going to put it right? We don't know. Human beings, we try with justice, but we're not very good. Will the United Nations solve our problems? Will, will the political systems solve our problems? Will the many voices of the political elite solve our problems? No. What, when true justice comes to solve the 
injustice of humanity will come is when the Lord Jesus Christ will return the second time as judge and as king. So what, are, what is happening here is exactly that. He is tying this up and he's making this point. And, and the point that he makes through the seven signs that we've been through are the points that he makes. We have to trust the light. So we want to jump to John chapter 12 and understand um, that this is a moment when things start to change. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And with a request, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. We have to be willing as we start this to understand that this is really about put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. It's about putting our trust in the light. And John's been teaching us about, touching the, about trusting the light, about knowing that the light came. The light came into the world and this light searches us and is there. But then we have this interesting verse that links directly to this and to that verse. Now there were certain Greeks amongst those who came to worship at the feasts. And they came to Philip. And these Greeks wanted, Greek believers, they wanted to see Jesus. Now you may overlook that verse. But this is a pivotal verse in Scripture between chapters 1 to 12 and 12 to the end, 21, as we go through John to understand that there is a change that has happened at this moment. Jesus' ministry to Israel has come to a completion and now he turns his eyes to others at this moment, the Greeks. What we can often forget is the level of division that existed within the ancient world between the Persians, between the Philistines, between the Egyptians, between the Greeks, between the Romans, between all the different na nationalities, particularly amongst, of course, the Jews who looked at every other group with disdain. Their whole objective was to stay clean. Their whole objective was to stay pure. Right the way back from Moses, this is what they wanted to do. But here in the temple where this takes place, this little verse you may overlook, but it says the Greeks came to see Jesus. And the word see in the Greek in the verb seeing is not just to have a look at Jesus because everybody could look at Jesus because Jesus was everywhere. The actual word means they came to believe, they came to follow and they came to understand that Jesus was who he was. And John puts it here. John is pastoring a church in Ephesus. John the great Apostle is living in Ephesus, which is a, a, a city with so many cultures and so many races and so many people there. And this little verse indicates that suddenly there is a shift, that Jesus' attention moves. And of course, the Gospels move. 
to a moment where we know that he's now not just come as the Messiah for Israel, but he has come as the Redeemer, the Messiah, the salvation for the whole world. We see the tension with the Greeks in Acts chapter 7, when, they, when, when the Greeks are not being looked after as well. And by using the word Greek, basically it means everybody else except the devout Jews. You know, one of those terms. When they talked about the Greeks, they just talked about all everybody else apart from the Jews. But what Jesus does in the temple where these Greeks are, and they are in the Gentile area, and, and of course they cannot go into the Holy of Holies, or they cannot certainly go in, uh, in beyond, otherwise by punishment of death in the law at that time. And of what they were was that Jesus looked at them, and of course they said that these Greeks, they're here. And what the message is telling us is that we must be aware that the gospel and the mission of Jesus has shifted and the mission of Jesus goes to those who are the most, most remarkable, those other sheep, those individuals that you would never expect Jesus in this culture to ever reach. He is going to the world. He is going large. He is telling the world that he has not just come for this Israel, but he has come to bring salvation to the whole world. It's a new chapter. It's a new beginning. Those that are despised, those who are looked down on, those who are seen unclean, those in Acts chapter 10, like the house of Cornelius, which is outstanding moment in the history of the church. All these groups, all these unclean people, all these that battle, he is now saying, I am welcoming them into the kingdom of God and I am going to welcome them. We have to say to ourselves, Every generation, who are the Greeks amongst us in our society that the gospel wants to reach? Who are the lost? Who are the unclean? Who are the broken? Who are those groups of people that we need to show love to and to show grace to? Who are those people in our own lives who are the Greeks? that have been excluded all the way through, but suddenly a new chapter has come and now they can be included and brought in to the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because prejudice can stop us from enjoying what God wants to do with all the nations. Because God wants to come and shine his light to all people. He wants to come and make this difference. Without rejecting Israel, this story affirms a new direction in ministry of Jesus. Jesus is committed to men and women who live outside the cultural norms of Jewish society at this moment. So this moment, they came to see Jesus. But what does Jesus then do? Jesus gives them a parable, a little story. He speaks to them. And of course, we are reminded, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you know who those other sheep are? It's you and me. Look around us. Aren't we a motley crew? Look at us. 
Nowadays, we're from all nations, all backgrounds, all accents, all experiences, our lives. Some of us have had glorious lives. Some of us, disastrous lives. Some of us have got over addiction. Some of us have got over uh, mental health issues. Some of us have got through broken relationships. Some of us are traveling through grief. And yet the beautiful thing is, in the body of Christ, we are one people. And we are loved. And you are loved. And that he has come to his sheep. So let's pick it up. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will remain alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. Of course, instantly what we know is that Jesus himself, and he goes on to say in this passage that he will be lifted up and draw all men unto him. Jesus himself is the grain that will die and out of that death will come much, much, much more life. It's his promise. And that through his death and through his mission and not the Messiah they expected, he would come and bring many into eternal life. He will sacrifice himself so that the whole of humanity can find the true light, the true purpose of God. But for every one of us, there is a challenge here. And the challenge is this. The challenge is that we too must be willing to lay down our lives and be willing to sacrifice ourselves so that we lose our life, so that we may find our life. And there's a sense of eternity here. Because eternity starts now. And when you are willing to lay down your life and you are willing to hand your life over to Jesus and you are willing to die to this world but to live to the glory of God, then heaven begins and you are aware that you are here but one day you will be there and Christ came. So just as Christ came and died, we must be willing to die to experience the true light and we must be willing to pick up our cross and to follow Christ. This is for every believer, that every one of us in living in the unjust world that we live in and living with the problems that we are facing, every one of us must make the decision to actually die to ourself. For I no longer live, but Christ that lives in me. For I've been crucified with Christ, for I am willing. And Jesus is saying, yes, the Greeks can come. Yes, the Greeks can join. Yes, the world can join in. But every one of us to gain eternal life must be willing to sacrifice ourselves and give our lives totally and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the place where radical discipleship begins in our lives. That is the place that Jesus is teaching us. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate. He's communicating. And then a thunderous voice came from heaven that affirmed this as Jesus and God communicate in this moment. And... and And of course, in verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was 
For this very reason I came this hour. Father, glorify your name. It's very, it's, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the agony. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. I love that. Everything that God does in the relationship is so that the benefit of the people can know the light and turn away from the darkness. And for each one of us, we are called, we are absolutely called again and again to sacrifice our lives, to pick up our cross, to communicate to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and to live a devoted life where I no longer live but Christ lives within me. And when I serve him and him alone and not this world, the promise is, is that you and I will receive eternal life and we will live in the life. Oh, but there's a battle, isn't there? There's a battle between light and darkness within our characters. There's a battle taking place within us that is real and active. And we understand this. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. What a terrifying little moment. These things Jesus spoke, he departed and was hidden from them. It is the most terrible thing to lose the light and for Jesus to be hidden from you. He does this deliberately. Deliberately, there is the Greek moment to say the whole world. Deliberately, he makes the point that true believers now must sacrifice everything and pick up the cross and die to themselves to produce fruit. And then he explains about living in the light, not in the darkness. And then instantly he disappears. You see, if you look at the whole ch chapter going on, you understand that there is a battle between belief and unbelief. What Jesus is calling them to do is to believe. He's calling Israel. And what he does not want is Israel to become hard in heart. But what is happening is that people are hearing and they're not believing and they're losing the urgency. And as they lose the urgency, they do not understand that their hearts are becoming hard to God and that they've been deceived by darkness and they've been deceived by Satan. And he implores them to move towards the light and to live for him and to die for himself. Otherwise, our hearts can become hard and darkness can take over our hearts and judgment can begin in our lives. This is hard. 
Because we know how easy it is for people to harden their hearts towards God. We know how easy it is. And in this scripture, there is a deep sense of urgency. And the urgency is, don't let the darkness extinguish the light of God within your life. Don't let the darkness come and take it away. Because judgment is coming or salvation is coming. And where are you willing to be? Are you willing to be there and face the work of judgment in your life? Or are you willing to step into the light and have the power? power of salvation taking place in our lives. And I know often we don't preach about judgment. We don't preach about darkness. We don't preach about urgency. But the truth is, dear brothers and sisters, in this change of chapter, chapter 12, that relates directly back to chapter 1, where the God has come into this world, there is an urgency because the darkness wants to take away the light and the belief and the faith from your life. In a clear way, it's as if judgment has started now as if Salvation has started now. See, many people kind of say, well, I'll, I'll just live my life and then I'll be okay. But what we don't realise is, is that our decisions have major consequences. And when we decide to live in a way of darkness, the darkness can come and consume us. But we've got to be willing to make the right decisions, to have the right consequences, to receive the salvation that changes our lives. Because as John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall receive eternal life. So we're on that, that pressure between judgment and unbelief and hard heart and this pressure of rejecting Jesus and this pressure of, of salvation, of light, of being sons of light, of knowing our salvation and living completely for Jesus because like a piece of grain in the ground, I die. And when I die to myself, I receive eternal life. Dear friends, don't live in the danger of living in that kind of twilight Christianity. Live in the light. Realise it. Because the darkness can consume you. Is what Jesus is saying. And that the unbelief over time produces hard-heartedness. And over time, the darkness consumes us and takes away. It's a little bit like antibiotics in a body. We know that when we have an infection, you can't often, up until recent centuries, what killed all of human beings was infections. And we, we discovered antibiotics. And now, you know, when somebody is infected and the infection grows, if you don't engage in the antibiotics, then, then what will happen is that eventually the infection will take over your whole body and eventually kill you. And the choice of not having the antibiotics will be fatal in your life. And there's this sense that Jesus is saying to us, if you allow the darkness 
to start to take you and the darkness to consume you and the darkness to lead you away, then there's a danger that it will kill you, that there is judgment. But what you need to do is to step in the light and it's the light of God that brings the healing. It's the salvation. It's the difference that it makes. To refuse the medicine is to succumb to the disease. To refuse to have faith is to be swallowed by the darkness. Thank God you and I have not been swallowed by the darkness. Thank the Lord that you and I have stepped into the light Praise God, but this is why we must pray. This is why we must intercede for our nation. This is why we must pray for Canada, because it is so easy. Here in this text, so many stepped away and they did not believe in Jesus. And yet Jesus implored them to believe. How does, how does this pivotal chapter start? It starts with Mary with the perfume and breaking it over and giving her absolute devotion to Christ. Everything starts there in our lives. Give the most expensive thing you have and break it open for Jesus. What is the most expensive thing you have in your life? Well, it's you, isn't it? you. you willing to be devoted in such a way. Oh, the crowds then, the next part of the chapter, the crowds are cheering and Palm Sunday, and Pastor Jordan preached on this, Palm Sunday, glorious, and yet they were believing in a fantasy because the new kingdom was completely different. It wasn't going to be what they were going to believe. It wasn't they were going to boot out the Romans and be Alexander the Great and do all of this. No, this kingdom was completely different. And there's a danger that this world of darkness enables us to believe in a fantasy of answers. And yet that fantasy of darkness will never meet the heart of man. What meets the heart of man is the light of Christ, the Son of God, the Logos that came into the world, the divine light, the one that drives back darkness and the one that transforms our lives. Oh, aren't you glad you came to church? <laughs> a bit of and we understand this. And so we've got to be willing to say, I lay my life down. I'm not going to allow my heart to become hardened. I'm going to live in the light. I'm going to read that verse. I've got to read that verse again to you. It is absolutely stunning. Verse 35, verse 12, chapter 12. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light. And just a little while longer... Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the darkness does not know where they're going. Do you feel like the world doesn't know where it's going? It's mad, isn't it? What we're seeing at this day. It's a good job you're not part of this world. Whoever walks in the darkness does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children 
of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after, verse 37, after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Their hearts were hard, even though, even though. So we live at times in a world that feels like a murder mystery. And we wonder where the justice and where the light and where the answer is. But in the greatest crime of humanity, which was the fall of humanity when sin entered the world, the story of God from Eden, from Adam and Eve, through to Abraham, through to Moses, through to David, through to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the final act that we haven't seen is when he will return in all his glory and he will put everything right. And justice will come. So why do we say, do, set free, get involved? Because there's a danger in all of us that the darkness can work in our hearts. I am being saved. I have, I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. Is that great? I've been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. But there's a danger. I am being judged. I will be judged. And I will face judgment. And that's why we must intercede for this world. Because so many hard hearts are real. We must pray for light to shine in the darkness. Let's stand together. The call is this morning that you make a decision for all of us to walk in the light. The call is to make the right decision and to step and to have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we finish, there will be prayer people available here at the end. And if you want to get right with God, or you want to step into the light, come and talk to them. They will pray with you. But in this final song, get right with God. Walk in the light. Lay your life down. Pick up your cross. Follow Christ. And yes, each one of us needs to fear. And I use this. We need, we need to fear the darkness that can so come and extinguish the light. Our choice makes all the difference in our life. Make the right choices to live completely for Jesus. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Zach, lead us.